0: All right, let's pray to get started. Can we pray together? Let's pray. So Lord God, we know that uh, no human preacher can give us um, anything we need. Only your spirit and your word can enliven our faith, our lives, our passion to follow you. So we pray this morning that your Holy Spirit would surround these words, would be present in the room, would translate for each person, the word you have for them on this day, at this time, in this place. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. So, as a longtime pastor, I have this experience kind of over and over again as I'm traveling through life, through the store, on the baseball diamond, when I'm coaching baseball, wherever I go, when I play hockey with these hockey guys. Um, eventually, the subject comes up what we do for our living. And of course, I have to say, well, I'm a pastor. And then there's usually this weird look and this stammer, and they're like, and then people feel like they got to say something religious, right? And they say, usually they say it like this, well, I'm not really religious, but, and then they try to explain whatever their understanding of faith and spirituality is. And then I surprise them, because I say back to them, well, you know what? I'm not really religious either. And they look at me and they go, but wait a minute, you're a pastor. What do you mean you're not religious? You're a pastor, you got to be religious. And then I go on to explain, no, actually religion is kind of empty going through the motions. Religion is like doing a bunch of stuff but not really understanding why you're doing it. Religion is like a bunch of work that you do to try to make yourself a better person. It's something Jesus couldn't stand actually. It's like doing a bunch of church stuff but having no idea what underlies the church stuff. It's like you know, it's, it's like this giant yoke you wear. This giant, like, backpack that you have to carry around. When Jesus met his first disciples, they were religious. They were good Jewish boys. They learned to follow all the Jewish ways of life. They learned the, the Torah. They read the scriptures. They had a whole list of things they were trying to do to be good Jewish boys. But they were looking for something more. It's probably what led them to follow him in the first place. So when we join them in Mark chapter 9, they've been following him around for a couple of years, trying to get something more, trying to figure out, like, what does this Jesus guy have that we don't have? He seems to have something else going, going on. At this story, just before this story, he asks these disciples a really important question. He says this, who do people say that I am? They answer him, well, some say John the Baptist, others say Uh, He lied to the prophet. Others just call you a great prophet. And then he turns the question on them. He says, hey, who do you say that I am? And Peter, of course, is the first one in. You are the Christ. And then Matthew tells us, he adds the phrase, the son of the living God. When Peter made this confession, Matthew tells us that Jesus says to him, this had to be revealed to you by my father in heaven. But I wonder when these disciples first started following Jesus, did they really understand who they were following? Did Peter really get it? Did he understand fully who this Jesus was that was standing in front of him asking this question? This guy that he was following around that looked just like him, that talked just like him? Can you imagine this? A guy like me walking around saying, I'm the son of God and doing all this stuff. He had done some amazing miracles. They had seen these. He had actually taught with authority which means he didn't teach in the same way that the other rabbis taught. He taught in a unique way that seemed to have a transcendent nature to the teaching. But they still, I don't think, really got it. I don't think they really understood who they were following. Now, when I was thinking about that, I thought about the first time I said yes to Jesus as a kid. And I think probably I didn't totally understand what I was saying yes to. Probably didn't totally get it. That's probably true for all of us. We have to keep saying yes to Jesus over and over and over again because we keep learning more about who this Jesus is. He keeps revealing more of himself to us. You know, as a youth pastor, I I used to have to run the profession of faith class. This can quickly become a religious exercise where we do profession of faith because we reach eighth grade or whatever. The worst reason to make profession of faith is it's a religious exercise. Now, when you make a profession of faith, You should have some kind of faith to profess so that means you've met jesus you've heard from him you've experienced him in some way and now you've decided to put your faith in him so you have something to profess and will you understand everything you're doing when you profess that faith the first time no way but you'll learn as you step into that so i think jesus knows what's on these disciples heads and hearts and so what does he do well Mark chapter 9 tells us, it's on the screens. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. There, there he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses who were talking with Jesus. I mean, imagine this scene. I love how the kids tried to recreate it, right? We had some flashing lights and stuff, but this had to be way more amazing. The glory of God showing through Jesus he's totally bright, brighter than anyone could bleach his clothes. That would be amazing though. see. And this particular scene has so many images that point to Jesus. Yeah, I don't know what mountain they were on. It doesn't really matter. I've climbed a couple mountains in northern Israel right near the border of Lebanon that would indicate, you know, people say, well, these might be the mountain of transfiguration. We really don't know. It doesn't really matter. This story parallels Moses at Mount Sinai. So if you go to Exodus 24 later today and look it up, you know that Moses went up to Mount Sinai six days after a certain period of time, and on the seventh day, God approached him. Well, Mark tells us it was six days when Jesus goes up on the mountain, and on the seventh day, God shows up in this transfiguration moment. The Jewish people were looking for a prophet that was greater than Moses, So Moses shows up and is standing next to Jesus. They're also looking for this great prophet Elijah to come and announce his coming. There's Elijah standing next to Jesus. So all the things that these Jewish boys had learned in their heads about the Messiah, God was putting a a visual display on for them to help them understand who this Jesus really was. And then even the words that God speaks from the cloud are from Psalm 2, Deuteronomy 18, all messianic passages these young boys would have known, all pointing to the Messiah, the Christ who was to come. Now, we could go on and on about this. this is, that, that would be like an hour-long lesson to get all the parallels between these two stories. It's amazing, actually, how Exodus and this Mark 9 are paralleled together. But there's something more significant going on, I think. God is showing his disciples the real identity of Jesus. You know, that Jesus is more than a hu- mere human, more than the Jesus we see in our Sunday school walls with the beard and the robe and the sandals. That's a little Jesus. God wants these people to know that Jesus is a big Jesus. A really big Jesus. That he is God in the flesh. The person they're following is way bigger than they even realize. They could possibly understand. I don't think these disciples had any idea of the immensity of the person they were following. I don't think we would have had any idea. I don't even think we have any idea today of the immensity that Jesus we are following has. The largeness, the hugeness, the bigness of that Jesus. Too often our Jesus following is picturing the little guy walking around on, in Palestine for three years with his sandals and his beard and his robe. Jesus is so much bigger. So I thought, well, this morning it would be good if I could give you an image that would sort of represent and help you understand how big this Jesus is. I thought, man, it'd be cool if I could get some guy up here and make him glow. Wouldn't that be awesome? (laughs) I can't do that. We tried that during the children's sermon. It was good, but it's just not the same kind of glow that God would have. So I thought of another way to go. So picture, pretend with me that there's a piece of paper in front of the room here. It goes up through the ceiling, down to the floor, out that wall, out this wall. Giant piece of paper. I'm going to poke a hole right here in the paper. This is the planet Earth. That hole. All the the mountains, oceans, rivers, valleys, people represented by that hole. Now I'm going to go five-eighths of an inch away, poke another hole. That's the moon. I'm going to travel 19 feet down my paper, poke another hole. This is the sun. In order for me to reach the planet Neptune, I have to go two football fields that direction, 600 feet down my on my paper and poke another hole, that's the planet Neptune. Do you know how far I have to travel to reach the nearest star? 1,000 miles to Denver, Colorado. Poke a hole. Now distances in space are so vast, they're measured in light years. That's the distance that light travels in a year. It travels in 186,000 miles per second. That's so fast that if I took a gun and shot a bullet around the Earth, it would hit me seven times before I hit the ground. At the speed of light, You can go from here to the moon in one and a half seconds. You can go from here to the sun in eight minutes. It would take you 11 hours at the speed of light to reach the planet Neptune. And you know how long it would take you to get to the nearest star? At the speed of light, 4.3 years. Now, that whole thing, this is that universe right here. This is it. I know, it's kind of weird, it's just a little balloon, but somewhere in there is, are all of us sitting in this room, in this place, this tiny little dust speck or microscopic speck in this giant universe that has been put together by the Lord. Now, with this in your brain, check out these verses. Look at this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was, was God. God. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. The world could not grasp how immense he was, how big he was, how amazing he was. The world didn't get it, even though he was right here, walking around us. And this tiny little speck. Look at this verse. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. You catch that? All this holds together in him. That is immense. That is huge. This... um, He is before all things, all things, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. Look at this one from Hebrews chapter 1. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory, transfigured on the mountain in Mark 9, and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things. By his powerful word. So if this is the universe, what's Jesus look like? Let me show you. this is the universe you live in. This is the Jesus you follow. All things are sustained inside of him. All things are put under his feet. He is huge. He is monstrous. He is immense. He is big. And on that mountain of transfiguration, he was showing his disciples that this is who he is. A brief glimpse of that. So when you say you're a Christian, when you say you're a follower of Jesus, this is the Jesus you follow. And guess what's the mystery? This Jesus that all this is contained within, Colossians says the mystery is that Christ in you, this Jesus goes inside you. That's the hope of glory shining through your life. So when we're doing church, when we're doing outreach, we're not bringing people religion. We don't want to give people a bunch of church activities to participate in. We want to give them Jesus. We want to give them the big Jesus. We want to give them the Jesus that can change their life forever. That's what we have to offer the world, not a bunch of religious exercises. We have a Jesus that is so humongous that he changes people's lives forever. Forever. Look what Ephesians says. This is the message version. It says like this. I ask, ask the God of our master, Jesus Christ, the God of glory, to make you intelligent and discerning in knowing him personally. Your eyes focused and clear so that you can see exactly what he is calling you to do. Grasp the immensity of this glorious way of life he has for his followers. Oh, the utter extravagance of his work in us who trust him. Endless energy. Boundless strength. All this energy issues from Christ. God raised him from death and set him on a throne in deep heaven in charge of running the universe. Everything from galaxies to governments. No name and no power exempt from his rule. And not just for the time being, but forever. He is in charge of it all. Has the final word on everything. So have you've been to the mountaintop, have you met this Jesus? By the way, unfortunately, illustrations break down. Jesus doesn't shrink. He keeps going bigger and bigger and bigger, right? I can't stop that. I can't make it stop. I tried. But have you met this Jesus? Have you invited him in? Have you, have you taken him in? Have you been to the mountaintop? Have you, can you hang on to an experience in your life when you go through difficult times that says, Jesus is big enough to, to enter my life and do amazing resurrection power things? When you're thinking about people out there who need something, who need help, who need meaning? The only thing we have to offer them is this big Jesus, who has the power to change and alter lives? Now, we're doing Alpha on Tuesday nights. one of the reasons I love Alpha. I think the Alpha people understand this big Jesus. Going through Alpha the first time last fall, I found myself sitting in the back thinking, these people understand how big this Jesus is. How much is at stake what we have to offer the world? And they tell stories throughout the Alpha videos over and over again that tell me they understand. So I'm going to show you, to finish this sermon today, a video. Uh, This guy's name you'll see on the screen. Earlier in the video, he talks about his life of crime. He talks about growing up in a very difficult house situation with an abusive father and learning how to beat people up, hurt people, and actually murder people. He goes to jail for it. In jail, they give him all kinds of rules. They try to give him religion. None of it works. He gets more angry, stands against authority even further, and eventually ends up in the streets getting out of jail as a complete and total bum. That's when Alpha picks up the story. Check this out.